Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. MASH Matters, the podcast celebrating the greatest television show of all time, hosted by a guy who loves the show and a guy who is on the show. I'm Ryan Patrick, alongside Private Igor himself, Mr. Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ryan Patrick. But the guy who was on the show and the guy who loved the show, which one of us is that? I'm not sure. I always get them mixed up. We will reveal that at the end of the episode. Ooh, a teaser. I like that. Yes. Uh, How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great. How are you doing? I understand you're just a little bit under the weather because you've had a lot of radio work. I'm just doing my best Luther Rizzo impression. Yeah. (laughs) I recently, uh, this week, went back to my radio station where I started working many years ago, where you and I first met, Jeff. Yes. I return every year and help them with an on-air fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is a cause that's very near and dear to my heart. And in the last couple of days, I've talked more on the air than I've talked to anybody in the last year. <laughs> and so my voice was not prepared. I did not do vocal warm-ups before I did this. Mm. But we had a record-breaking year, uh, $331,000 raised in two days for St. Jude. And so it was all worth it. But here I am today with no voice and you could fill a thimble with my energy today. <laughs> Well, congratulations with that. I think that's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to do. And by the way, your voice is really starting to, uh, you know, excite me a little bit. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) something's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, today we have uh, not one, not two, but three special guests on this episode of MASH Matters. And this is a little bit different than what we've done in the past because we're not necessarily talking about MASH. We're talking about Korea. And specifically, we're talking about a documentary that came out in 1988 called Korean War The Untold Story. Now, here we are talking to the producer, the director, and the star of the documentary. And uh, Jeff, tell us who these people are. Well, the gentleman that I had knowledge of years ago, and you'll hear this later on in the conversation, uh, who was actually a friend of my brother's when they were in high school, Arnold Shapiro. I'm just going to read a little bit about who Arnold Shapiro is, if, if you don't mind. Please, please do. Arnold was has been a television producer and writer for... Uh, 52 years. And Hmm. the interesting thing is he's only 38, which I don't know how he did that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He sold his first show to CBS in Los Angeles at the age of 22. Hmm. Since then, Arnold has produced over 90 nationally televised documentary series and specials for every broadcast network and 14 cable channels from MTV to HBO, including the Oscar and Emmy Award winning film Scared Straight. By the way, if you have not seen that film, it's one of the most compelling documentaries you will ever see. He wrote it, directed it and produced it. Among Arnold's 29 series are CBS's Rescue 911, seasons two through seven of CBS summer series Big Brother, and the seven-part Teen Files documentaries. Arnold's 150 <laughs> awards are, wow. si- among Arnold's 150 awards are 16 Emmys, an Academy Award, the People's Choice Award, the Peabody Award, and the International Documentary Association's Lifetime Career Achievement Award. Is that all? <laughs> Is that it? I was in the Cub Scouts. I mean, (laughs) 
Arnold Shapiro's production's mission statement was to help young people reach adulthood without getting killed, incarcerated, addicted, pregnant, or becoming a dropout, violent, or suicidal. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's why we're very excited to have him on the podcast today because he's- Is a, this our first Oscar winner? Yes, it is our first. I Yes. I should like wear a tux while we're doing this then. And his uh, producer- writer and director of the great Korean The Untold Story documentary is Carol L. Fleischer. Just going to throw a little bit about what Carol is doing. Carol has spent the last 40 years making documentaries for television. Her passion for storytelling is seen most vividly in her films about nature. Each documentary has revealed a different aspect of our human connection to the natural world. One of Carol's favorite projects, the Emmy Award-winning Why Dogs Smile and Chimpanzees Cry, (laughs) tells the story of how animal emotions evolved. She also did a follow-up, Why Chimpanzees Smile While Jeff Maxwell is Sobbing. She did that as well, (laughs) which is amazing. She won some- I love that one. That one's my favorite. Yeah, my family loves it. Uh, she's got all kinds of awards and she, something she does is sharing my passion for telling stories with students that are relevatory, inspires, amuses, amazes, entertains, educates, engages, and changes how people look at a part of their world. Hmm. I mean, good. And again, I was in the Cub Scouts. I did stuff too. I know. I feel so inferior now. Really? I, (laughs) I don't. And we have a third guest. Yes. And uh, if you don't know Loretta Swit, you are in violation of Penal Code 4077, Section 8, <laughs> and subject to 11 years of incarceration in Los Angeles. So Nice. Uh, nice. Yeah. yeah. That's her little bio. Well, here's a little fun fact about Loretta Switch. She now holds the world record for most appearances on MASH Matters yes. by someone not named Jeff Orion. <laughs> So congratulations, Loretta Switch. When do we do the award ceremony? As soon as I get my tux. Okay. Yeah. And your voice back. And my voice. I need my tux and my voice in that order. But this is exciting. We have, this is a wonderful thing. This is a, it is a little bit more unusual than our other episodes because we're not just talking about MASH, but by golly, we're talking about where MASH came from. Yes. We're talking about the Korean War and this documentary. Now, when we started this conversation, Jeff, about having these folks on the podcast, the biggest challenge was there was no way to watch the documentary. Mm -hmm. You couldn't find it anywhere. Well, that has changed. We are proud to announce, uh, in conjunction with our guests today, we are able to bring you this documentary. You can now see this documentary, Korean War, The Untold Story, on the MASH Matters YouTube channel. You will find a link to this in the show notes for this episode at mashmatters.com. You can also go to YouTube and just search Korean War, The Untold Story, or you can uh, look for our MASH Matters channel on YouTube, and you will find this documentary. So you can either listen to this interview and then go watch the documentary, or you can pause this podcast now, go watch the documentary, and then come back and listen to the behind the scenes story of this documentary with our guest today. It's a wonderful, wonderful documentary. It highlights the stories of four different soldiers in the Korean War. And Jeff, some of these stories, they're harrowing. 
I mean, it is just unreal what some of these people went through. It's terrifying in some respect. And it unfortunately sort of dovetails into what's happening in the world today. So I'm sorry to say that, but this is something that we all have to be aware of. And and learning about what these people went through is uh, you have to know that so that we can go on in the future and know how not to do stuff. It was it was a tough time. And we're going to learn about it and see about it. Yes. So now, without further ado, let's move on to our interview with Arnold Shapiro, Carol L. Fleischer, and Loretta Swit. This episode of MASH Matters is going to be a little different. We're still, of course, focused on MASH, but this time we're going to talk about the real Korea. We have three guests today who were involved in a documentary shot in Korea, produced around uh, 1988. Uh, The guests I speak of are the executive producer, Arnold Shapiro, the writer, director, producer, Carol Fleischer, and the host of the film, a name you may remember, Loretta Swit. Before we get into the documentary conversation, I have to share something that's kind of special for me. Some years ago, Arnold and my brother, Ron, were best buddies in high school. As a budding young producer, Arnold produced a live radio show from the basement of his parents' home, uh, whether they wanted him to or not. But <laughs> my brother happened to be the MC of the show. So, Arnold, this is great. Speaking with you today is such a warm moment for me. And uh, again, as I say, I think the last time we actually spoke was when I was 17. So I'm happy to be out of the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this documentary that we're going to talk about today is a wonderful film. Uh, It featured very gritty footage of the actual war, footage of locations and people at the time of the shooting, and very compelling interviews with four Korean War veterans. And I am going to read the names of those four veterans. Frank Mutzel, uh, he was a Marine, 23 years old at the time of the war. Ed Reeves, 19 in the Army. Bob Lunny, 23, Merchant Marine. Lieutenant Byrne Wright in the Air Force, who was happened to have been shot down three times. My goodness. As I said, those interviews are very compelling. I learned a lot listening to them. And what's really interesting is that MASH was based, uh, in fact, the whole series was really based on so many interviews that the producers got and the writers used as a, as a Bible. And the series went on for 11 years using interviews like that from your documentary. And so on MASH, we all dealt with the brutality of war, but we all got to go home at six (laughs) o'clock. These guys didn't. So hearing their stories of what they went through as soldiers was really riveting. So again, I congratulate you all did a terrific job with it. Uh, Thank you. I really appreciated seeing you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're very welcome. So Loretta, let's start with you. How did you come to this project? What what, what are the steps that got you to it? Well, I think the project came to me, uh, my dear friend Arnold approached me about it. A- anything to do with history, wars, military. You know, I'm, I'm uh, very into uh, military, military dogs, bringing them back from Afghanistan and stuff. So, so all of that is compelling to me, and I wanted immediately <laughs> to be a part of it. Well, the, I want to add to what Loretta said. When it came time to select a host for this, to me and to Carol, Loretta was the logical choice because of her interest in veterans and in honoring them. And also, since the whole film was about men, it was nice to have a beautiful, attractive, blonde woman uh, standing at the 38th parallel. 
with North Korean soldiers glaring at her, having never seen anyone who looked like her. Um, <laughs> so Loretta was a natural choice. And thank goodness she fulfilled the three A's. She was available, affordable, and agreeable. <laughs> and adorable. Make it for it. And adorable. But <laughs> you know, that was that was so thrilling for me. And that was absolutely and Arnold, thank you. And I and you did say that to me initially. You told me that you felt you and Carol had talked about it. And you felt I was the choice. You were the you know both compelled about that. That I was perfect to fill that bill. And I am <laughs> Still thrilled and happy that you thought that. But what was really fantastic, I think, to stand on the DMZ and watch those soldiers flirt with me. Yeah. I didn't know whether to be terrorized or, or laugh or, you know, but <laughs> they were in their language and their eyes flirting the hell out of the moments, you know, and it was kind of, Wow. Uh, amazing. Uh, there was something else that we did in this documentary that I've never done in any other documentary. We've always had a host who, for whom copy was written, and they would read it off of a teleprompter or cue cards, which certainly happened here. But this was the only time where we, where because of who Loretta was, that uh, she went ahead and interviewed various. Uh, service members who were on uh, the border between North Korea and South Korea. She did her own interviews with them, which which we taped. And I've never done that before. And we used a lot of it in the documentary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, how how interesting that was for me to get in there and say, "Tell me what what how, how are you doing? What are you doing? What do you like? What do you miss most? When do you want? Do you want to come?" Home, do you, you know, stuff like that, or uh, I don't know. It was, it, and then of course relate it back to Mash, and and it it was fascinating for me. Yeah, Loretta, you were eleven years uh, in in the fantasy world of being in Korea. Was it different when you got there and you were in the real <laughs> Korea? Was there anything different about it? Actually, what was interesting was uh, looking at the hillsides, uh, the, the, actually the territory and the terrain. Uh, there were so many times when I would see uh, a flash of something that looked like it was straight from the beginning of MASH, you know, as the helicopter comes over that mountain. It was like having deja vu without ever having been there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The uh, producers, like Gene and Larry, had gone to Korea, and they had done such enormous research to get the real feel. To this day, it's kind of remarkable when you look at stage nine and you don't realize that compound they're walking on is not pebbles and dirt and, you know, mm -hmm. what they manage to affect. It's just really remarkable and so good and added so much to the total belief in, in a reality. Interesting. I, people ask me about the set of MASH on stage nine, and I say, the set was so interesting and so well done that you felt like you were in a different country. It, it added to the ability to be in this fantasy world. It was really amazing. You, you did the exteriors, didn't you, Jeff? I mean, you were out on the uh, the Fox 
lot. Yeah. That was phenomenal. Yeah, it was. We had uh, fleas and ants and we had, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, Margaret once had that speech, you know, about, you know, bedding down with flies and rats and, and fleas. And, you know, I think Potter was trying to send her away, the nurses, she and the nurses, and, uh, you know, safe from what? And she goes into this spiel about what she does every day that she takes for granted and she's not afraid or, you know, I think the women who served on the front lines there as medics were amazing volunteers. You know, they weren't drafted. They went there, the coldest place on the globe in winter and the hottest in the summer. And as everybody now realizes, the first killer was frostbite. The second was snakebite. And the third was the war. Mm-hmm. This climate was unbearable, unbearable. There were no good days. And then you add to the mix what they're there doing, you know, standing in blood and patching bodies together, 18-hour days. Anyway, uh, there, the, the whole spirit that was captured, I felt very strongly uh, in Korea when I was there. For the first time, it was kind of a chilling experience. It was so, so real. Well, it was also a chilling experience because it was freezing. <laughs> it was so cold. I, there, there were times when I looked at you and said, oh, how could you do this to me? <laughs> Unbelievable. Do you remember those little little hand warmers we used to pass around? Yes. And put it inside the gloves, Carol. Oh, my God. You felt when you talked that your face was going to crack and fall off. And, oh, oh, God. I was so impressed that you could read your, could do your lines at all. <laughs> I think the wind chill at one point was 35 below. Oh, my goodness. And Loretta was such a trooper out there. Remember that big flag? Yeah. yeah. The wind was so fierce. The flag didn't have a ripple in it. Yeah. It looked like a flag that was painted across the sky. It was not waving or moving. That was the wind. I remember doing a, a stand-up uh, to camera at the Bridge of No Return, mm. where it was zero without the wind, zero degrees. And I was holding the cue cards for you, praying that you would get it on the first take, because <laughs> I didn't think I could take a second take. <laughs> I don't know I could have done it in one, but your hands kept shaking. <laughs> It's the coldest I've ever been in my life. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Goodness gracious. It was cold. It was cold. Wow. I I remember thinking that um, if I could do this, and that was in Korea, if I could do this, I can do anything. I can can withstand this kind of cold. Nothing else is ever going to bother me. Oh, wow. Loretta, let let me see if you remember two things. Number one, at the DMZ, there's a building where they, to this day, negotiate the Americans and the North Koreans, and the building straddles the demarcation line. So you can go into that building and actually safely be in North Korea, and then they give you a certificate saying you have been in North Korea. You remember that building? Yes, of course. Yes, that was like monumental experience. You know, it was extraordinary. And the other was our cameraman or our director of photography mm. was a, a man named Bertram uh, Van Munster, mm. who, with his wife, went on to 
create the the amazing race for which he's one of the executive producers. Mm -hmm. But at that time, he was uh, he was a camera operator, and he and the crew were driving back separately from us, coming back from somewhere. And I guess in in South Korea, people just cross the highway in in the pitch dark without paying any attention. And they actually hit a pedestrian, mm. and uh, everybody wound up at the hospital. Bert hurt his hand a little bit. We didn't know where they were for a long time. They were just absent, you know, without leave for hours while we were back at the hotel trying to find them. Wow. It turned out the, the pedestrian was actually okay. He was so drunk, he bounced. On the highway. <laughs> oh, wow. That that does happen. That 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 is a fact. I'm gonna plan on getting plastered when I go for walks from now on. I'm <laughs> what I remember about that incident is that when we were back at the hotel wondering what to do, Loretta took charge. I mean, she became <laughs> she became her character and she said, Okay, this is what we have to do. Step one, step two, step three. And uh, I was very impressed by that. We weren't paying her to take charge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how how did I have to ask, how did the and I want to hear from Arnold. I want to hear from Carol after that. But Arnold, how did the project come about? Well, the the Olympics were coming up and I am an amateur student of, of military history. And um, the Korean War is also known as the Forgotten War. Mm-hmm. Most people couldn't tell you two sentences about it. I guess I, somehow I just came up with the idea, let's do a documentary called Korean War, The Untold Story. And we will tell the story of the Korean War. And then we will tie it into the upcoming Olympics of 1988. So that's how that's how it came about. Great. It wouldn't surprise me if a majority of Americans knowledge of the Korean War actually was because of MASH. Yeah, absolutely. Undoubtedly. Carol, you're the the writer, director, producer of the of the film. Yep. So did did you know Arnold and had you worked together or? Yes. Arnold, one of my television heroes, (laughs) he uh, he really was greatly responsible for me having a career. And uh, not being a professional bag lady, (laughs) which was the uh, alternative. But uh, no, we had done two war-related films before this. One was The Unknown Soldier of World War II. And Arnold is so creative and thought about who could be in that tomb. And let's tell the stories of people who are missing and perhaps recoverable Maybe it could be that person. And it was like telling ghost stories. It was really pretty amazing. And we we also did a POW documentary called POW Americans in Enemy Hands, which dealt with World War II Korea and Vietnam. So this was our third war venture together. Wow. You know, I, I know that uh, in limited experience, a documentary can be like, uh, you know, you follow an idea until it shows up <laughs> and then you know what you're shooting. So did you have, were you prepared? Did you have a path already laid out and, and follow that path and, and with this documentary? Or, or did something surprise you when you started shooting this? Geez, that's 35 years ago. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Carol. <laughs> tell, tell us every minute of it. <laughs> no, I I mean we the interesting part, the the intriguing part was doing the casting 
if you will, quote unquote, of the four men who we profiled who were so unbelievable. They were. They were. Right? Can you believe that people endure this? It's remarkable. They were very compelling interviews, truly. How did you find them? Um, we had help from from the Army and reunion groups, as I recall. All the branches actually helped us out. And we also, you know, there wasn't... <laughs> Let's date ourselves. There, I don't believe there was internet at the time. So we were <laughs> at the library with microfilm and microfiche, uh, mm-hmm. reading old newspaper articles as well. Was the VA any, any help? I don't remember. The, yes, yeah, you're right. Loretta, I think you're right. Of course you're right. Because we did have men who were still enduring their wounds and treatment from it. Yes. But once we identified the men we wanted to feature, and we wanted to feature people from different parts of what was, you know, kind of key events in that war, and tell the war, sort of reverse engineer the war from their experience. There's also um, trying to get over the hurdle of getting them to talk. Right. So many of our boys come back from wars. They don't want to discuss it. And uh recovery, of course, is to get them to open up and start talking. It's a way of healing. Yeah, I think a couple of them were in um, in group therapy, um, which was really unusual back then. We, we had a, a veteran of the Korean War in our POW documentary that Arnold and I did, um, who was a black man who had been taken prisoner. And he said the Koreans had never seen anyone with skin as dark as his and that they would spit on their finger and try and remove the blackness from him. Wow, my. But he had such tremendous PTSD from Korea that he didn't tell his wife he'd been, he got married after the war, never told his wife that he'd been in Korea until some 30 years oh, later. Wow. Really to sit down and hear their stories, be with them will make you so brave that you you listen to these stories, what they endured, and if they did that, my God, you leave feeling the human persona can do anything. That they lived through that and survived and triumphed. That's an amazing experience. I, I love being with them. It does make you feel a little inappropriate whining about a cold lunch or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was what was so funny. That first summer after I did uh, Never the Same and have them say, God, it's so hot. You think this is hot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was, I was in this terrible position of saying, no, you're not hot. You're, you're sweating a little bit. <laughs> Take off your jacket. You know? Well, I, I think the documentary really says that. When you watch these interviews, you really get the sense of, of so much bravery and so much passion and so much dedication and so much integrity and so much of everything that a human being can actually rise to. It's stunning. It was really stunning. You know, one of the other challenges we had that fell to Carol was that once these men told their stories... We had to go to the locations throughout South Korea where these things happened. And obviously, we worked with the military, the American military over there, so we were able to get access to wherever we need. But I remember that the most difficult location, and I never understood this, was we wanted to show a real mass unit. Mm. There was one, and we were there, and they didn't want us to shoot the building. And we said, we can't, we can't be here and not shoot the building. They were 
he never understood why they were so restrictive of it. But um, but we did we did show enough of it, and and Loretta was standing in front of it, and this was an actual real mash location. That is surprising, very surprising that they didn't want you to do that. The mash units came out of the Korean action. They did not exist before the Korean War. No, they were behind the lines and well, mobile. Yeah, that they would uh, pack up and move. That was uh, indigenous to the Korean action. Was there always a, a willingness to accept this mass unit? Was there always a willingness to accept this film crew to come and shoot all the stuff about the military and on the military bases and so forth? We had tremendous cooperation. There was one master sergeant. Whenever there was something that we needed that uh, you know I couldn't figure out on my own, I'd ask for the master sergeant, and I'd say, you know, it would be so great. If there would be like 10 trucks behind Loretta in the distance, though, so they're not, you know, ruining the sound. And <laughs> and if they could go from right to left and be there in 12 seconds and I mean, whatever it was. Directions that Loretta was told and I was told and you were told about when we were right on the demarcation line, what we should and should not do regarding the North Koreans, about not looking directly in their eyes, etc. Except for the ones that were flirting with Loretta. <laughs> <laughs> I took from that as it was not a polite thing to do to look straight into their eyes. Was that something like that that they were saying? I remember that, but I also remember that we were not supposed to be as gregarious as we might normally be <laughs> up there. And I was in a bright yellow parka. And I remember one of the guys, one of our, you know, the American soldiers at the DMZ saying, you know, you are such a perfect target. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I thought, oh, great. Yeah, great. And I kind of. I, back, I backed up to a machine gun nest <laughs> that was right there, and I came home with machine gun oil all over the back <laughs> of that beautiful yellow parka that was a target, but <sighs> it was a great uh, badge of honor. Imagine taking that to the laundry. What is this? Oh, it's machine gun oil. <laughs> <laughs> From the DMZ, you know. DMZ, yeah, you know. Nobody was smiling on either side. No, no. I was in Korea in 1969. I was part of a USO tour, and uh, my partner and I had a comedy team, and we had performers, and we did this show all around Korea. And one thing that stood out to me was that one night we were coming home, and it was about 10 o'clock, and we were out pretty late. The show went on for a long time, and we had a Korean driver. And at the time, and it still may be true, there was a, uh, a curfew that no Korean could be out, you know, on the street after nine o'clock or something. And our driver realized that it was past the curfew and he got extremely nervous, really, really nervous to the point that his hands were shaking. He was driving our van and I was sitting next to him and to my right was a, an ex-escort officer who they assigned to us. And we're driving toward our base and we get to this first checkpoint where you go through and the, the drill is you turn the lights on and you stop. And you let the guy who's at the guard gate look at you and, and wave you through. Well, <laughs> this driver was so terrified <laughs> that he didn't stop. <laughs> oh, no. And he didn't turn the lights off. And he went right through the, say, the, the guard rail and he went right through it. And in seconds, 
Talk about machine gun nests. That van was surrounded with about 15 guys with machine guns. And they were pointing it right at me. And I thought, this is not good. <laughs> no. This is not good. I'm just a funny guy. Tells jokes. I This is not good. <laughs> and finally, the escort officer started hitting the guy in the head. And he finally stopped. Oh, my God. Had it been two seconds later. I would not be here. I, I think those guys would have shot us because they would have anticipated that we were North Korean infiltrators uh -huh. and they didn't kid around with North Korean infiltrators. They were serious. Yeah, that's what you look like, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was dark, you know, it was dark. They didn't. <laughs> you wouldn't normally be cast as a North Korean uh, infiltrator. No. We, had a we had a translator with us who in real life was a still photographer, and he had this beautiful book of photographs that he had done of uh, South Korea at all four seasons. And it was really interesting to look at that book because we were there in the dead of winter in January. And uh, I can't say that we saw the beauty of South Korea nearly as well as this book showed. His name was Norman Kim. I, I don't know how I remember that. Wow. You know, what just keeps coming back to me is how cold it was. Yeah. <laughs> Being a, a native of Southern California. I, I don't know. That really, really knocked you over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm, um, I was born in the East, you know, born in New Jersey and I grew up in New York and, uh, and I, I do love the change of seasons and I favor winter. I love the snow, I, you know, all that stuff. But when you're talking about the cold we were in, that's something else. <laughs> you couldn't move. Really. I, I, I felt when I was talking on film and looking into the camera, that my face must look terrible. It must be like cracking and, you know. You look great. You look fabulous. I just rewatched it yesterday. And um, it's amazing considering especially how cold it was. You know, not, not all actors are great being themselves to camera, which is why you can't just pick the most famous actor and say, okay, that person's going to be a great host. I have a Paul Newman story that verifies that. <laughs> he even said to me, you know, I'm not very good being on camera as me. <laughs> oh, he's so he was incredibly shy. He was it was painful to watch Paul try to be himself. Well, I, I concur. Loretta, you know, I've watched it a couple of times. You were really terrific. I you really did. You did such a wonderful oh, job. Oh, how nice. Oh, how lovely. Your voice is so good. And more importantly, you really brought an understanding to the language that, you know, as the writer, it was a thrill to have somebody who really got the words and the meaning and the subtext and all of that stuff that I pretended to be smart enough to put in there. <laughs> but Loretta made it even better. The thing is, Carol, the thing is, you know, it was a subject and dialogue, everything so close to my heart. It's very easy for me anyway, to be myself talking about things that I'm involved with and care about. And I think you're always good at something you love. Well, you sure were. I, I, I hate math. I've hated math all my life. My, my, my brother majored in math and he would try to teach me when I was a little kid. And I, I'd say, I, I'm not going to learn this because I don't like it. And that was really wise. I don't, it's hard to learn something that you don't like. 
But if your heart and soul is in it, it's just, you know, so easy in a way to get up there and talk about something you love. And, you know, we, we shouldn't forget that to this day, there are still thousands of Americans right on that DMZ yeah. uh, manning those same machine gun nests and, you know, pointed at North Korea and uh, are in harm's way uh, every, every day. I, I'll, I'll never understand that. I don't understand why that condition exists. And once a week, they still meet in that same building. I don't know what they talk about at this point. The height of the flags on the table was a big point of conversation (laughs) after the conflict. Yeah. Well, they're asking where that blonde woman is, probably. (laughs) What happened to that blonde girl? She was nice. (laughs) She wouldn't look at me, but she was very pretty. (laughs) I guarantee you there are now old men, very old men in North Korea, who are still talking about the day they were assigned to the border and they, and they saw this vision. They don't even know if it's real now. <laughs> it was a tall, beautiful woman with straw-colored hair um, talking to a camera. They don't understand, but they remember. And she could talk, and it was so cold out there. How did she do that? (laughs) But, you know, all of us got to see a lot of South Korea. Obviously, we couldn't go to the Chosin Reservoir area in North Korea. But um, seeing Incheon, you know, where the the supplies landing occurred uh, a a couple months into the war was really something and then that we were permitted to be there and to have Loretta use that as a backdrop as well. Yes. Uh-huh. So I, I, I'm assuming that you all got along. Oh, no, we didn't like each other at all. Yeah. <laughs> we, all we all got along, especially when we almost lost our cameraman and crew. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> we realized how much we loved him. It was a very bonding experience being, you know, not knowing where the rest of the crew was. I believe I went through Loretta's mini bar that night. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you in Korea? I don't remember exactly. I, I'm, my guess is it was about uh, eight days. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, maybe a little more than a week. So you're probably right. Were you able to uh, sample some of the local cuisine? Yeah. After a while, the whole country smells of this food that they bury. <laughs> <laughs> Kimchi. kimchi yeah it's kimchi, kimchi. yeah lovely kimchi we didn't want loretta to eat anything strange because if she got sick mm. we were doomed yeah you're in trouble <laughs> but i was i was you know expendable so they let me eat anything I yeah. wanted. <laughs> here carol have some kimchi you'll love it <laughs> yeah. no, nobody was expendable i was loretta's food taster <laughs> Changing the subject for one minute. Yesterday, my my wife, Karen, watched the documentary. And as a compliment to you, Carol, and to you, Loretta, she watched it because she wanted to learn more about the Korean War. And she was so intrigued by every aspect of it that she watched it twice. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You will. You Yes, absolutely. I, I learned a lot when I watched it. It is a very educational piece. Boy, it's a terrific film. It's worth seeing, and you're going to learn a lot when you watch it. You really will. What, what did you all kind of come with? Did you come away from this experience with some message? Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But did the three of you come away from this experience with something? You asked me before what surprised me, and for for me, 
that every man we interviewed said he'd do it again, no matter how damaged their bodies were, their psyche was, that they would do it again. And remembering that, remembering that this is the forgotten war, you know, they, they came home to nothing, no fanfare, nothing. Of, and most of them didn't speak of it, but they'd do it again because they felt that their country asked them to. Just remarkable courage. Yeah. I, I came away with it just finding it hard to believe that anybody survived that kind of combat and especially in the dead of winter because they were fighting in January and December as well and just being amazed that we interviewed four men who were alive who survived it that I will never forget I don't know if any of those men are alive today are we doing a sequel Arnold no, <laughs> no. <laughs> at least not in January. <laughs> we'll never be that cold again. We'll tell the summer story this time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I have this uh, wonderful T-shirt that reads, a veteran is someone who at one point in their lives wrote a check payable to the United States of America for everything and up to their lives. It's that kind of commitment that you hear by rote when they say they do it again. When those those people go and, and sign up for a tour or become members of the military or the, of the, any uh, branch of the armed forces, they do it with a commitment and a courage that is really so noble and honorable. It knocks you out when you come face to face with it. When they say, oh, yeah, I would do that again. Sure, absolutely. It just, it's this, they're amazing people. That's why, you know, that's, that's why I, I love being with them and working with them. So they just do it. They stand the post and they say, nothing's going to hurt you tonight. Not on my watch. You know, that, that gets me all the time. And I have to earn that. I have to be a better person to earn that. So from that point of view, they make Everybody who's paying attention, they make everybody better, better people. I think Carol and I would concur with that, having done about seven documentaries involving military people and coming away from each of them feeling exactly what you're saying, although you said it better than I could. I, the first, well, the POW documentary that we did in 1986, I believe, um, that one, it just, it was such extraordinary human survival, you know, same thing with these men in Korea. It just makes you just have this new appreciation for what human beings can endure. And also that maybe they shouldn't have to. And, you know, the, the, the whole bottom line is looking at the two Koreas then and today, and the difference between South Korea and North Korea. I mean, we could mm. we could do a whole hour on that. You know, if anybody has any questions about why that war was fought, you only need to visit South Korea and then look into North Korea. Yes. Yeah. The, the brave journalists who've gone in there and gotten some of the most amazing footage of the truth of what's happening there. I think that's part of why this war never ended is because the Leaders in North Korea, it's the only power that they have is this leverage in that part of the world. So, well, and it's in some nuclear weapons, you know. Yeah, but, and there's that, yeah, nuclear <laughs> yeah. weapons. 
Yeah, I, I was I was just stunned when I was there and we were walking around a, on a base and the night before there had been three Americans killed in one of the airplane hangars and they were killed by North Korean infiltrators who had come across because the base was right, at, right close to the border. And this was happening constantly. And you think, what are humans doing to each other? This is these are people standing, you know, 20 feet away, you know, there's barbed wire between them, but they're 20 feet away, but they're just human beings. And one of them runs over and kills another. And this goes on and on and on. What What's in everybody's heart and soul in that hostility? It's stunning. It really is stunning, which breaks my heart to watch what's happening in the world today. It's really something MASH did so well. The human cost of war was just, I, I don't know that there's another television experience, including the evening news that made you feel that so much it really did it just brought it right to the fore you know it was that was what you were talking about there were laughs and everybody said funny things and acted fun but boy that's what they were talking about that's what the message was loretta you've associated yourself with some very important memorable television amen yeah we're all so very proud of uh the show and what it uh, the integrity and the uh, the humanity more than anything, I think. We have a global MASH family that is out there who relates to the characters like family. It's really moving and and very, very touching that those feelings are so strong about those characters who were real people. We were playing real people. And uh, that the world was able to relate so strongly, which is why... I, I won't give up on saying all we need is to keep connecting to each other because we are all in one family. You know, if we really believed that, there wouldn't be any kind of war or conflict. You know, nobody really would care about borders because we're all family. And of course, I'm talking about a utopian situation, but I was here during 9-11. I was at ground zero I was at the Javits Center feeding, you know, but we were all making hot dogs and hamburgers and feeding the troops as they came off the uh, Ground Zero area. And it was an amazing experience to see the unity and the connection. It's only a tragedy that it takes thousands of people to die for us to realize that we're all one people. And that's it's that simple. We're all connected and we all are one family. Well said. Amen. Boy. And uh, luckily we connected today, which is <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. I wasn't sure we could, but we did. <laughs> you, you you have all been so wonderful to show up and do this with us. And we we so appreciate you visiting with us and telling us these stories. I, I I don't want to let you go, but I will, because I know we've been talking for a while. But do you do you anybody have a story, kind of a wacky, kooky story that happened between the three of you or in some weird place <laughs> that you can think about or willing? Oh, to we do? can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think really the funniest thing uh, for all of us, I think, was to stand on the BMC and watch these guys flirting you know yeah yeah if we could only turn that around into something lovely that you know you're flirting because you have feelings you have passions or you have you know if we could only turn that around and make it work in a positive way (laughs) yeah but truly to stand there and be exposed to that and just as um 
you know, just being there was being in the middle of history. What an experience. And Arnold, you know, thank you so much. And Carol, thank, thank you for organizing that, writing it, making it happen, because it was so important. What's a tribute to everybody is the film does not look dated. Unhappily, unhappily, it's still relevant. Yes. If you understand what I mean by that. Very, very relevant. Yes. Arnold, when you were at the DMZ, was anybody flirting with you? I want to know. <laughs> Just a, anybody. I was, uh, I was too cold to notice, but I'd, I'd, say, I'd say no. <laughs> Loretta, Loretta was definitely the focal point. It's only because lawns are so scarce in that area. <laughs> Well, this has been truly delightful. Does anybody have any last parting thing you'd like to say about this experience? Arnold, did you ever give my boyfriend at the time the, his parka back after the shoot? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I didn't need that kind of covering once I got home. <laughs> I just thank you again to all of you for uh, doing this. I didn't think in uh, 2022 I'd be talking about Korean War, The Untold Story with Loretta and with Carol in any kind of podcast. This is the first and I'm sure the last podcast I'll ever be. <laughs> Arnold is one of the all-time great guys as well as great producers and has consistently made wonderful opportunities for everybody he knows pretty much. I think he has more Emmys than MASH maybe. <laughs> I, think so. I think so. Thank you for the praise. I'm I'm going to sign off now. <laughs> I don't blame you. Get yeah, run. <laughs> thank you, Carol. Thank you, Arnold, and thank you, Loretta. You're very welcome. Stay warm. <laughs> <laughs> Our thanks to Arnold Shapiro, Carol L. Fleischer, and of course the lovely Loretta Switt for spending time with us talking about Korean War. The Untold Story. It's a remarkable documentary, and uh, I want to congratulate everybody, Arnold and Carol and Loretta, for doing an extraordinary job uh, on the project. I mean, some people can take these things on and go, eh, it's okay. But this was terrific. And uh, again, I urge everybody to, if you haven't seen it yet, go to our YouTube channel and take a look at it because it, it'll impress you. It is incredible. Uh, it's only 45 minutes long, so it doesn't take you very long to watch it. So I highly recommend you go and check it out. You can, again, you can find the link to the documentary in the show notes at mashmatters.com for this episode, episode eight. And uh, you can also uh, just go to YouTube and search for Korean War, The Untold Story, and you'll be able to watch this amazing documentary. By the way, the gentlemen who are featured in that documentary did a little bit of research and found out that all four of them have passed away. Frank Mutzel, he died in 1998. Private Edward Reeves, he passed away in 2010. Vernon Wright passed away in 2017. And Jeff, Bob Lunny, just passed away a few weeks ago. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. He died on March 10th. Gee, that's such a shame. That's, yeah. that's too bad. He lived a long life. I think he was 91 when he passed, so. Oh, know. goodness. Well, yeah. And and I in in listening and hearing that all four gentlemen have passed away, I feel really badly because uh certainly I feel badly that they passed away, but also you really um bond with them watching mm -hmm. the doc, you know. I I really did and I felt for every single one of them and all their stories were just so compelling and interesting and terrifying that you really get a sense about who they are as people and really begin to love them and uh, have yeah. so much respect for who they were and what they did. 
Thank you again to uh, Arnold Shapiro, Carol Fleischer, and Loretta Switch for spending time with us today. Uh, that does it for this episode of MASH Matters. Again, you can find us on social media, all the social medias. You can find us online, mashmatters.com. If you want to get in touch with us, we'll be back with some more, you know, questions and zany answers and all that. Zany answers? We have zany answers? Start working on your zany answers, Jeff. Whoa, I gotta get those. Wow. Until next time, here's looking up your old address. <laughs>